sports fans betters and cappers and welcome to the daily competitive hedge podcast i'm your host of the show kenneth cotterell and this show is all about sports and the world of betting we talk about the results from yesterday's games and wagers before diving into the full slate of betting plays for today now our episode today is brought to you by our sponsor bet 99 bet 99 is a canadian sportsbook and casino that offers in-play betting player props and many more great products There are a variety of sports available on the website to bet on, and Bet99 works smoothly on both desktop and mobile. The Bet99 mobile app can be downloaded from the homepage of their website. Now, depositing and withdrawing funds is hassle-free with a number of well-known methods available to use so you know your money is safe and secure. The website can be viewed in both English and French, and customer service is available 24 7 on their live chat option so go to bet99.com to make an account uh use promo code shooters to get started and please gamble responsibly you must be 19 plus years of age so let's talk about yesterday's bets wasn't our finest day of bets yesterday but we had a couple of close calls so we went two and three yesterday the couple winners that we had yesterday atlanta and pittsburgh Over eight, it was 14 to two, so not even close. Uh, Kyle Wright, uh, seven innings pitched with eight Ks, and Olsen and Contreras hit home runs there. So, shout out to the Braves and Pirates. And then we also had San Diego and Cleveland under seven and a half, which hit seven nothing was the final for Cleveland. Quantrill pitched a gem of seven innings with six Ks, and he got a lot of run support as Jose Ramirez hit two home runs and Oscar Gonzalez hit one as well. Now the bets that missed. We had Leeds know both teams to score yesterday with Barnsley. Unfortunately, Leeds wins, but 3-1, to one, so we miss on that play. Then we had Texas and Colorado. This one was not close the other way, as it was 16-4. to four. Martin Perez went six innings with seven Ks. Culberson and Lowe hit home runs for Texas. And then Arizona Moneyline versus Kansas City. We pulled the Seattle-Washington play, if you follow us on Twitter. Didn't love it. Good thing we did because it missed. Unfortunately, the play we replaced it with also missed, which was the Arizona Moneyline versus Kansas City. They were up 1-0 late in the game, but unfortunately fall 5-3 after a tough inning. And so we go 2-3. Now let's look at other game results from yesterday. It was a loaded MLB day. Now Detroit and San Fran. Detroit wins 6-1. Matt Manning goes six innings pitched with eight Ks. Victor Reyes and Willie Castro both had two RBIs for the Tigers. Then you got Oakland. They beat Miami 3-2 in the 10th inning. A.J. Puck gets the win after one inning pitched with two Ks. Sky Bolt hit a sack fly in the bottom of the 10th to drive in David McKinnon, and that was all she wrote in that game. Then Washington and Seattle, as we mentioned, was a part of our card. We pulled it. Washington wins 3-1 over Seattle. Kyle Finnegan 
with just over an inning pitched and a K in the win. Ildemaro Vargas hit a two-run home run in the top of the ninth, which won the game for Washington. The White Sox win 5-3 to three over Baltimore. Giolito pitched just over six innings with three Ks, and they got three RBIs from Gavin Sheets in the win. Then you had the Phillies won 7-5 over Cincy. Christopher Sanchez, six Ks, or seven Ks over six innings. Real Mudu hit a home run there. Toronto wins 3-2 over Boston in the 10th. Damn Blue Jays beat my Red Sox, but Simber goes and gets the win in relief. Springer hit a double in the 10th inning to seal it for the Jays. The Rays won 4-3 over the Angels yesterday in the 11th. David Peralta reached on a fielder's choice to win it in the bottom of the 11th for the Rays. The Cubs won 7-1 over the Cardinals. Rowan Wick just shy of two innings pitched in two Ks in the win. Zach McKinstry, he hit a home run and had three RBIs on the day in the win for the Cubs. The Astros won 5-3 over the Twins thanks to a Valdez 8K performance. Altuve hit a home run early and Mancini hit one late for the Astros. And then to cap it off, the Dodgers covered the run line, surprising no one, 12-6 over Milwaukee. And a big reason why is Haney went six innings with 10Ks in the win. They got a home run from Barnes, and then Bellinger, Muncie, and Gallo all had two RBIs. They say that there's something with the New York water, and I think it was affecting Joey Gallo in a negative way. Since he's got to the Dodgers, he's been on the roll, and the Yankees have been slumping. Then WNBA playoffs-wise, unfortunately, the Dallas Wings fall yesterday, 73-58 to to the Connecticut Sun. Dallas had a great year. They came on late in the year. Unfortunately, they got outscored 39-24 to in the second half. Arika Bungawale was only able to play six minutes as she was pretty banged up, and so Connecticut advances in the WNBA playoffs. Then EFL Cup ties. We already talked about the Leeds game, but Brighton won 3-0 over four screen rovers. And Newcastle, after going down early to Tranmere Rovers, a good friend of the show, Walker Bailey, went and bet Newcastle live, and it hit for him. 2-1 was the final there in EFL Cup ties. And then in other news, NBA-wise, Chet Holmgren, he is hurt. He suffered ligament damage in his foot. Unfortunately, he hurt it in a brief appearance at a Pro-Am event in Seattle while defending LeBron, of all people. But Chet, he looked good in summer league. This should be a minor setback for a really good prospect. It is a freak injury that could happen to anyone. I saw a lot on social media yesterday of, well, why is he out playing in those pro-amps? He's going up against pros. He's trying to get better. Unfortunately, these things happen. And so he's going to be fine moving forward. And then Patrick Beverly, he got traded for Talon Horton Tucker to the Lakers. Don't know how that Beverly and Russ dynamic is going to work. Maybe Russ isn't going to be there long term. But... This should help improve the Lakers' perimeter defense, despite the fact that Beverly is an irritant and not one of my favorite players as a Lakers fan. So we'll see how this goes for them. Now, let's talk about today's betting slate. We do have quite a few uh, things to go through, including the Tour Championship, which we're going to lead off here. This is the PGA Tour's final event of the FedEx Cup playoffs. I hate this format. I think it's stupid that just because you're number one in the FedEx Cup that you get a 10-shot lead over some guys and a minimum of a two-shot lead. So this is why our winner play this week, we're going with both Scheffler and Cantley. Both are full unit plays. We're hedging here, thus the show name. The reason why is because they just have such a strokes advantage. Cantley won last week. Scheffler's won four times on tour this year. So Scheffler's plus 215 and Cantley at plus 370. 
we're hedging here, assuming one of these guys is going to win. Yes, you could have a guy like Rory or Rom or JT come from behind, but the last couple of years, it's been one of the guys in this top two that has won this event because they have that advantage. So we're rolling with both of them this week, hoping Cantley wins from a value perspective. But overall, we expect one of these guys to come out on top and take home the FedEx Cup. Then top five plays. There's no top 20 this week, given it's a 30-man event. So top five, really like Rory at plus 137. Some added motivation with his announcement with Tiger earlier this week. And so I think he has a chance to be in that top five. And then Tony Finau, plus 270, the way that he's played over the last month, month and a half. How can you not like Tony Finau in this event to finish top five at plus 270? And then top 10, rolling with Cameron Young, plus 165. The, the rookie darling, we'll call him from this season. I think he's got great potential to be in that top 10 on Sunday. And then Corey Connors as well at plus 280. He's on the President's Cup team. He's had a great year. Been in the top 25 of the money list. I think he has potential to shoot a great score here. Get into that top 10 and cash a plus 280 for us. Then NFL, we have Green Bay and Kansas City. Green Bay is minus one today. Over-under is at 36. Staying away from this one as well as staying away from San Francisco, who's just over a field goal favorite against Houston. The over-under there is 41 and a half. Then you've got CFL Calgary versus Winnipeg. Now, Winnipeg is minus six today. I think a big reason why. Bo Levi Mitchell got benched. One of the best QBs probably in CFL history gets benched last week after playing poorly against the Argos. They had Jake Mayer come in, who led them to a come-from-behind victory. So he's going to get the start tonight. And Winnipeg with just the one loss on the year. So that's why you're seeing a near-touchdown favorite between two of probably the three best teams in the CFL this year along with BC, who unfortunately won't have Nathan Rourke for a little bit here due to injury. Now, when we're talking MLB today, you got the Rays, they're minus 175 versus the Angels. You got Sandoval going for the Angels against Rasmussen for Tampa Bay. I do lean the Rays today. However, that over-under seven line, I don't like it because I think both pitchers could do well today. So we're staying away from this game. Don't love the minus 175. Certainly not going the run line run line route so we're gonna fade that game st louis versus the cubs hudson versus stroman uh stroman we've been ice cold betting him this year so this is why we're staying away from this game if i had to lean anything in this game i would lean the under nine and a half once again fading that play don't trust either pitcher then you got tristan mckenzie and gonzalez going as the guardians are minus 125 on the road against seattle I lean Guardians today. That would be a heavy lean. Not a part of our betting card today, but definitely like them to win that game today. White Sox and Orioles, this one's a part of our betting card, so we'll talk about it in a few minutes here. The Reds, they are... (laughs) Sorry, the Phillies, they're minus 340 today against the Reds. The over-under is 8.5. You got Dunn versus Nola. Don't love it when a team's minus 340. Been burned on that before, especially on the run line. If you even want to go to minus two and a half, it's only plus one and a half here. So staying away from this one, the lean would be that the Phillies cover that because the Reds just aren't very good, but don't trust it overall. Rockies Mets are a part of our betting card. Blue Jays, Red Sox, you got Gossman and Crawford. The lean there is that the Jays are going to win. The over-under is nine. I like the over because I'm not a big fan of Cutter Crawford. 
So that would be the lean in the Jays game. Once again, not a part of our card. And then the final one today is the Yankees A's. Jamison Tayon, 11-4 on the year with a 4 ERA, taking on Caprilin, who's 3-7 with a 4.29. Now the Yankees are minus 210 on the road. Again, just really hate it when the money lines are up that high for a road team. As much as I'd love to bet the Yankees, just going to stay away given they've been so hot and cold lately. So let's talk about the plays that we are going to bet today. These are the four plays that we like on the betting slate for today. Starting with Winnipeg, it's minus six. We're going to go to minus five and a half. It's a little bit more of a juiced value, closer to minus 125. But Jake Mayer, yes, he was good in replacing Bo Levi Mitchell last week. But this is a different animal that he's going up against. The Argonauts are not very good. They're in the East. Let's call it what it is. No one in the East is really that good in the CFL this year. And I think he's going to struggle tonight against Winnipeg early. He may come back in the second half, look a little bit better. But I still think the Bombers are going to win. They're going to cover at home. And so I like the minus five and a half. Then you've got the Rockies and Mets tonight. Over seven is where we're leaning here at minus 121. You got DeGrom on the mound for the Mets, who's 2-1 and one with a 2.31 ERA. Taking on Ryan Feltner, who's 2-4 and four with a near 6 ERA. I think the Mets can cover this on their own. I really do. But I do think that you're going to lean that they're going to get at least a run or two here. I don't love the bats on the Colorado side as much, but these are great batting lineups nonetheless. DeGrom may deal, but I think he'll give up a run here or there. And so I really like the over seven. Then Chicago White Sox first five minus a half versus Baltimore. We're anticipating that they're going to win this one outright through five innings. So really, I'm a big fan of Lance Lynn. I think Lyles, he's a solid pitcher for Baltimore, but I just like the White Sox bats more. Yes, they're on the road. Yes, this is plus money, but I just like the White Sox. They won yesterday, and I think they keep it going today. So plus 110 for the Chicago White Sox first five outright. And then we're also going the Houston Astros first five outright at minus a half versus Minnesota, which is minus 125. Houston just has the vastly superior batting lineup. I trust Garcia a lot more than Archer between these two pitchers. So I love the first five, love the minus 125. And so take the Astros there for that play. So if you are listening to this episode on Apple or Spotify, stay tuned as we do our New York Jets preview. Welcome back to the Competitive Hedge Podcast. It is August 25th, which means our 25th NFL team preview is upon us. Now yesterday, the discussion was about the New England Patriots. Shout out to our special guest, Patrick Schur, who talked about his team. We focused on how good they can be under Mac Jones in his second season. So go and check that episode now before you give this one a listen. But today, the focus stays within that division, within the AFC East. Now we've already talked about the Bills, we've talked Patriots, we've talked Dolphins, and now we're talking the fourth team, that being the New York Jets. Now I'm running solo today. Apparently I need to befriend some Jets fans and get them on this show. But very excited to talk about a team that could go one of two ways, could see a ton of growth this year, or could see them kind of plateau. But let's talk about the New York Jets specifically, how that 2021-22 season went. So the Jets, they're coming off a 4-13 and season. It was Robert Sala's first year as head coach coming over from the San Francisco 49ers. Now, 
They picked up some quality wins throughout the year. They knocked off the Tennessee Titans, much better Titans team last year than this year. They knocked off the Bengals, who went to the Super Bowl, and then a couple wins over the lowly Texans and Jaguars. Now, bit of an up-and-down season, and part of that had to do with rookie Zach Wilson's play. Now, he only played 13 games last year, so he was unavailable for a few of those Jets games. But when he was in there, he threw for just over 2,300 yards, 9 touchdowns, and 11 interceptions. Where he also impressed, though, was he added almost 200 rushing yards on the ground and 4 rushing TDs there. So a little bit of rushing upside with Wilson, not that we were expecting a lot. Now, the Jets' defense, on the other hand, they gave up 504 points last season. So when you're giving up almost 30 points a game, it's going to be tough to win football games. And part of that's on the defense. Part of that's the offense not scoring and the defense having to be on the field a bit more than they would like. But nonetheless, a tough 4-13 and season. They did win a couple more games than the year prior, so not all bad for Jets fans. Now, what did the Jets do this offseason to try and get better? They actually did quite a bit, and a lot of it was done through the draft which is sometimes what you need to do when you're one of these teams that isn't competing for a championship. The Jets, they go out, they get Ahmad Gardner, the cornerback out of Cincy at number four. Was super excited to see him go, also because I had the prop bet of him being the first corner taken. He had wide receiver Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State. The number 10 pick goes to the Jets. And then they also traded to get defensive end Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State with the 26th pick. In the second round, they also went and got Brees Hall, the running back out of Iowa State, second round pick there that could produce this season. Then in free agency, they go out, they add C.J. Uzama from the Bengals, they add Jordan Whitehead, the safety from Tampa, and D.J. Reed, the secondary guy from Seattle on a three-year, $33 million contract. So all these moves were made. What does that mean for the Jets this season? More specifically, what does it mean of how well they're going to do this season? I do think the offense is going to look a lot better than it did last year because he wasn't the only player that was injured. Zach Wilson was not the only one that missed time last year for this team. When we're talking about Corey Davis, who was a big signing for them last season, I mean, he came over from the Titans coming off a great year. They were expecting him to step in, be the number one receiver likely for that group. He didn't play all the games last year. He was hindered by injuries, and when that happens, it's difficult for your rookie quarterback. Now, Michael Carter, he led the team in rushing last year, just shy of 650 yards. And then you had Elijah Moore, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss. He had over 500 receiving yards, five receiving touchdowns. So he had a great year. Braxton Berrios is great as a kick returner last year as well. So this team has weapons. Weapons isn't an issue for them this year. They don't have that Mike Evans, that Keenan Allen, that A.J. Brown in that offense. But they have a lot of quality guys for Zach Wilson to look to. Defensively, C.J. Mosley missed a lot of time last year. Quan Alexander, the linebacker, also makes this core pretty solid. We know that they went out, they added guys to that secondary and drafted well. So we're assuming that this team's going to be a lot better. Now, how's that going to translate onto the field? It's tough to say, and I think a lot of it's going to fall on Zach Wilson in his second season. Now, he might have loftier expectations, part of that given 
his choice of moms that he had in the off season. But a lot of that also has to do with the fact that he was a top five pick and with being a top five pick means that you have to produce and produce right away. Cause that roster was not great when he came in. So can he take the next step this year? What do you call a successful season for Zach Wilson this year? Well, first of all, he has to get on the right side of the TD to INT uh, ratio here because 9 and 11 is just not going to cut it. He needs to get up to around 20 touchdowns. If he keeps the INTs where he's at, he's just fine. Probably has to cross the 3,500-yard mark this year if he plays all 17 games. So I think that's the expectation for Zach Wilson this year. The weapons are there. The team's improving. Good coaching. Now it's just up to him to prove whether or not he's just a Disney child star. I joke he was never on Disney. But can he produce on the football field? Now, when it comes to the New York Jets from a betting perspective, we are not going to come on this show and say, bet the Jets to win the AFC East at plus 2200. You're not going to get that here. It's even tough to say whether they're going to go over their win total, which is five and a half wins. And as I said, this is a team that made a lot of moves, and we don't know if they can even exceed that five and a half win total. Now, the over is minus 167, so Vegas seems to think six wins is in the realm of possibility, maybe seven. But division-wise, it's going to be tough because you're asking the Jets to go and beat the Bills, which is not likely to happen, so you take the two losses there. Then they have to go and play New England and Miami, two teams that we've already previewed were a bit higher on Miami than New England. But if they get two games out of this division, that's two games more than they got last season from this division. Now, if they go 1-5, and five, that means you have to go out and win five of your 11 non-division games in order to go over. The first month of the season, they might as well be in the AFC North because that's all that they play. They take on Baltimore, they take on Cleveland, no Deshaun Watson. They take on the Bengals, who just went to the Super Bowl. And Pittsburgh, it may be Mitch Trubisky, it may be uh, Kenny Pickett that's in there. But overall, this is this is not a great schedule start for this team. Now, I think it's possible that you go out and take a couple games here. I think it's more likely you take one. But if you go 2-2, two and two, then you're absolutely thrilled if you have the over here. Other non-division games, you got Green Bay, you got Denver, both tough tests. You've got Chicago, Minnesota, Detroit to round out your NFC North. And then you have Jacksonville and Seattle. There's quite a few games in there that are gettable. Chicago's not great. We know that we're not high on them. Detroit, bit higher on them than years past, but that's not saying a lot given they won three games last year. Jacksonville, not high on them. And same with Seattle, who we haven't previewed yet. Spoiler, not high on Seattle. Who would have thought? But I think this is a five-win team, potentially a six-win team. So I lean under here at the plus money. I'm not going to bet it personally. We will not give you the competitive hedge stamp of approval to go and bet on this win total line. But we do lean the under here despite all the moves that they made. Going out and getting a CJ Uzama at tight end to help out on the offensive side of things. It's still not a great football team unless Zach Wilson can prove that they are much better. Now, if you want some juice odds, fourth place in the division at minus 233. Consider that to be very safe. New England, I think at worst, is a 6-7 win team which means that I'm a lot higher on them than the Jets. And so 
that's a pretty safe bet there if you want some juiced odds. Now, fantasy football-wise, there's not a lot here as far as early draft picks go. But there is some upside here. So you got Zach Wilson, his ADP is 204, meaning if you're in a 15-round draft, probably not seeing Zach Wilson get drafted. 2QB league, still even questionable. I think he still gets taken, but a bit questionable if you're in a 12-team league. Now he's just behind Kenny Pickett and Ryan Tannehill. He's just ahead of Daniel Jones and Jared Goff. Now, I think I would take Zach Wilson ahead of the two guys I mentioned first, Pickett and Tannehill. Tannehill's very limited in the weapons that he has. It's essentially Traylon Burks, the rookie, and Robert Woods, who's coming off a major injury. And Kenny Pickett, we don't even know if he's going to start from day one. And if he does, he's going to have Trubisky hot on his heels. So I like the upside of Wilson there. I've already talked about the fact that I like his weapons there. I would even have him ahead of a second-year guy like Justin Fields because he's in a much better situation to succeed this year. Now, other guys just slightly ahead of Pickett and Tannehill, I'm not going to go as far as to take Zach Wilson ahead of Matt Ryan or Baker Mayfield because Zach Wilson is a waiver-wire quarterback unless you're in a 2QB league. But to me, if you're looking for a guy on a bye week, given they have all of those games against the Detroits, uh, against the Jacksonvilles, against the Bears. I think there is some games there where Zach Wilson could have a breakout performance. So I think that's where the fantasy value lies with him. Now, running back-wise, this gets a little bit dicey. You've got Brees Hall, his ADP's 44, so you're looking at mid-fourth round, potentially early fifth round pick. Now, he is going ahead of Josh Jacobs and Antonio Gibson. Gibson, we're hearing rumors out of camp that he's not looking great. And Josh Jacobs, we've already talked during our Raiders preview that him playing a full 17-game schedule may not be in the cards. But he is behind David Montgomery and Travis Etienne. Now, Etienne's essentially in his rookie year, but he's coming off the injury, and David Montgomery's relatively safe play, but he does have Khalil Herbert behind him. So I like the upside of Hall, but he does have bust potential given the offense that he's in. And the main reason why is if you're trailing a lot, then teams tend to abandon the run a bit and this is not a running back that is even projected to have the most catches on his team as a running back he's only projected to 37 catches on the year the average that out he's just over two a game Michael Carter while he's not soaring past him in in catches he's projected at 42 so they do view Carter as a bit more of a receiving back here and so Carter he goes ADP 115 so ninth, 10th round pick. He is projected for the 42 catches, as we said. So I think the value in the offense may be a bit higher with Carter because of where you can draft him. Now, I don't think you can go wrong drafting either guy. I want to put that on the record. I just think that if I have to pick between one of them, Carter would be where I'd want to go because he is the experience back in this offense. He's more of the receiving back. And I think he would just generally be a much safer pick a bit later in drafts. Then Elijah Moore, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss that we talked about. His ADP is 90, so we're talking 7th, 8th round pick. He's behind Devonta Smith, ahead of Traylon Burks and Brandon Ayuk. Now, when I name those four guys, I look at Elijah Moore as the best out of that group. And you just have to look at projections. He's projected for 75 receptions, which is more than a half dozen more than uh, Devonta Smith 
and over a full dozen more than Traylon Burks and Brandon Ayuk. Because let's face it, Moore's probably become the number one option in this offense. Yeah, Davis was hurt, but he developed some chemistry with Zach last year. And so he has 1,000-yard receiver potential. I think he could be a late steal in a draft because he's a guy that you don't think about because he's on the Jets. But Zach Wilson, as we said, coming off a terrible rookie year, and if he throws for another 1,000 yards in year two, plays the full schedule, then that works out a lot more for that team's number one wide receiver, and I think that guy's Elijah Moore. But Corey Davis, I think, is still draftable. His ADP is 226, so right now you can get him off the waiver wire. I think he's worth a late-round flyer because he was hurt, but prior to that he was good in Tennessee, and he's one year removed from said stop in Tennessee. So why are we suddenly writing him off and putting some of these guys ahead of him, guys that you know, we're looking at a Marvin Jones in that range. We're looking at a McCole Hardman in that sort of range. Why are we putting those guys ahead of him? Osborne in Minnesota, Van Jefferson for the Rams, Isaiah McKenzie in Buffalo. We're talking third, fourth options in some of these offenses. And Corey Davis, who's proven that he has value in fantasy. I think he's worth a late-round flyer. He may be a guy that you can steal in your draft because people almost forgot that he exists because he got injured. And then to cap it off, CJ Uzama, ADP 252. It's surprising to me that he's this low after the value that he showed. Now, when you go from Joe Burrow to Zach Wilson, obviously you're going to drop a little bit as far as value goes. But I'd rather have him over guys like Kyle Rudolph in Tampa Bay, Mo Ali Cox in Indianapolis, Brevin Jordan, in Houston. Those are some of the guys projected ahead of CJ Uzama. A guy that went to the Super Bowl last year. He has potential to be the number one tight end in this offense, should be the number one tight end in this offense. And so I think he's worth a late round flyer in case Zach Wilson falls in love with him as a safety net. I think he's got some value there. Now, what would my expectations be for the New York Jets to cap it off? To me, you win six games you're happy you win five games you feel like you made a lot of moves to not see a lot of progress five wins might fire Robert Sala I don't think it will I said it might I think you get to six you're safe for another year maybe you give Zach Wilson his third year to see if you can keep pushing that win total further and further closer to the playoffs then you're going to continue to have him under center and Sala at the helm But overall, this is still not a great football team. There's a lot of upside. There's a lot of guys that have fresh starts or or fresh careers now in their rookie year. But this is a growth year for the Jets. There's going to be games where they're down 35-10. They're going to be down 28-0. And you just have to accept that. And I know that's hard for Jets fans to hear, given that they've heard that a lot over the last couple decades. But this is still a team that they'll have some wins. They'll have some low lights, but overall, they'll be a fun group to watch and seeing if Zach Wilson can get to that next level of potentially being a franchise quarterback will be fun to watch. So thank you everyone who tuned into our Jets preview. We'll be back tomorrow talking probably about the Seattle Seahawks. We're going to jump around a little bit here over the next few days, but really do appreciate everyone who listens in. Drop us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. really helps the show grow. And we'll see you guys tomorrow for the Competitive Hedge podcast.